You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. California. It is cold, though. And I am so excited to have you here with me on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. I am Ann Schiebert, a clinical psychologist in California. And I and my guests, the ones who visit our program, are your relationship mentors. This is a program about relationships. Almost every interpersonal problem you face started with some type of relationship issue from your past that you didn't work out. And I think it's really weird how relationship problems from the past show up in our presence and challenge us to either solve them or wait for another opportunity with a different person. In fact, that gets me. I don't know about you, but I get so frustrated with these repetitive learning opportunities When I think back on my own life and on those who shared with me and my patients, I can't tell you how many times I've been witness to awakenings, such as someone metaphorically realizing, oh, no, I married my alcoholic mother again, and I didn't even realize it. I and my guests are here for you. We want to provide you with information so you can avoid those irritating learning opportunities because you've already solved them. Again, welcome to the program. And before we welcome today's guest, I want to share a couple of items with you. The day after tomorrow is the first day of February. I can't even believe it. Can you? Where did January go? Remember the discussion we had at the first of the year? It was about creating New Year resolutions that were just for one or two days a week during the entire month. What is your resolution for February? Make it fun. Make it doable. And write it down, and it is a building block of self-esteem when you keep your promises to yourself. Now, second, what are you going to do for Valentine's Day? I bet there are many of us who think of ourselves as the Valentine Grinch. If that's you, maybe we can reframe it. Valentine's Day is supposed to be about romance and love between humans. How about making it more inclusive? What about romancing the fur family you have with a good brushing or extra pat? What about going outside and appreciating the plants or the trees? What about even being extra kind to a person at work, maybe even one you don't really like? Get creative. Ever think of spending the day acknowledging all of your own talents? And I don't mean that in a grandiose way. I mean that we all have God-given talents, and we never acknowledge them 
And I think doing that expresses gratitude. So moving on. Many years ago, I was sitting in a therapy group in a chemical dependency department, listening to a patient carefully discuss her repetitive relapses. Now, if you've ever been on a diet, it's really easy to relapse. So for those with addiction issues, it can even be easier. So watching this patient struggle was really sad. I knew her well, and I knew she really worked on changing her life and staying away from alcohol. And as she described it, something happens. I just can't think. It's like my brain shuts down, and before I know it, I've gone to the store, and I'm sitting in the parking lot drinking two or three bottles of wine. And I don't know how to stop. I feel so hopeless. I just don't know what to do. And as I sat there in the group room listening to this lovely woman, I thought to myself, something else is going on here. And I thought I knew what it was. But I'm going to leave you listeners hanging here at this point because today our guest is going to help us put together some of the pieces of this puzzle. So Dr. Tim Brown is a licensed clinical psychologist in California. He has 30 years of experience in the field of mental health with primary expertise in the treatment of trauma, sports performance, and creative blocks, chemical and behavioral addictions, mood disorders, spiritual concerns, attachment issues, and life transition challenges. Wow, I can't imagine having that many areas of expertise, but hats off to Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown is a certified brain spotting practitioner, and if you don't understand what brain spotting is, it is a, a newer type of therapy that, that can be short, and it's about where you look, it's how you feel. It's too complicated to explain here, but maybe we will have Dr. Brown back to explain it to us. So um, it, it combines emotional freedom techniques and other trauma treatment modalities to assist his patients um, process and integrate their painful and debilitating traumatic experiences. Dr. Brown is also an expert in the field of addiction as well as a lecturer and educator. He has a private practice in Walnut Creek, California, and Dr. Brown, it is a pleasure to have you on the program this morning. Well, thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me. Ah, well, I hope you'll help us understand possibilities for what was going on with this patient who kept relapsing. But before solving that, uh, that puzzle, I'd like you to explain addiction to us. What is addiction? Well, uh, addiction is um, a very complicated illness, and it is an illness. And to, to begin with, uh, I'm, I'm going to offer a rather dry definition of, of, uh, uh, of addiction. And basically, this is an, uh, the, and if you can believe it, this is the short definition from the American <laughs> Society of Addiction Medicine, and, and it reads as follows. Addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. Dysfunction in these circuits leads to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. This is reflected in an individual 
pathologically pursuing reward and or relief by substance use and other behaviors. The addiction is characterized by an inability to consistently abstain, impairment in behavioral control, cravings, diminished recognition of significant problems with one's behaviors and interpersonal relationships, and a dysfunctional emotional response. And like other chronic diseases, addiction involves cycles of relapse and remission. And how about this for addiction, Ann? Without treatment or engagement in recovery activities, addiction is progressive and can result in disability or premature death. Now, that was a mouthful. Yes. But, but in layman's terms, addiction or chemical or behavioral addiction, we can think of it as a chronic brain illness that can lead to potentially horrendous problems in an individual's sense of self, their emotional balance and stability, uh, relationships and behaviors by altering the brain's neural pathways associated with pleasure and rewards, motivation and memory. And, um, you know, some of the symptoms that your listeners might, you know, look for in terms of someone that might be suffering from addiction, um, some of the more formal symptoms are, are issues associated with tolerance, and that's when a person needs to use more of the substance to get the same effect or mm-hmm. uh, withdrawal, which means that when they stop using the substance, they experience very uncomfortable symptoms. Um, and then also cravings for the, for the substance, um, negative social or interpersonal, psychological, physical, or legal consequences. And the person, despite all these consequences, continues to engage in the addiction. Um, also, engaging in the addiction uh, over a longer period of time or using more of the substance than they intended. And there's a few others, but those, those are some of the big ones. Um, and where I derive those symptoms, that, that's from our psychiatric diagnostic manual, the DSM-5. But, you know, what I would say if we really wanted to titrate it down, the simplest definition of addiction um, really comes from the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, in my opinion. And uh, basically, the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. So addiction involves an, an, an issue where the individual no longer has control over the substance and as a consequence their lives just become unmanageable. This sounds like such a complicated disease and I think Kim, um, if I can call you Kim. I no, think, no problem. Um, <laughs> I think that people minimize the complications in having this disease because we go to treatment and think, oh, we ought to be all well. So another question for you I have is how do people get addicted to alcohol? Because we're going to limit our discussion to alcohol today. Sure, sure. Um, Basically, uh, there are a number of factors. And, you know, again, to to sort of oversimplify, uh, most of your, your listeners have probably heard of you know, the difference when we talk about factors that influence a person's personality development. We talk about nature versus nurture. And what essentially that means is nature has to do with, you know, biological factors, uh, genetic factors, uh, you know, uh, 
if you have, uh, for example, a, a co- co-occurring psychiatric disorder, uh, those kinds of things that you, you, you know, you really have that are within yourself. Whereas the nurture aspect is, those are environmental factors. Like, uh, you know, those are possible variables that can determine whether or not the genetic uh, factors will be more in play, um, mm. and those environmental factors are there. There can be a slew of things, but uh, okay. things like early childhood developmental care or home environment, uh, limited early stimulation, uh, especially negative re- uh, relational attachment patterns with primary caregivers. Um, you know, excessive. Again, a very, a very it, complicated disease. It, and it's huge. Yeah, we're coming up on a hard break here in a minute. Oh, sure. Uh, Tim, and, and I'm wondering if you could just quickly answer, is, it, is addiction to alcohol different from other addictions? Uh, generally speaking, and uh, addiction to alcohol is very similar to all other mind-altering substances and uh, addictive behaviors that result in, neurobi- you know, the neurobiological changes and symptoms we, we you know, we spoke about earlier. Um wow. Uh, but, well, you know, there, there are some differences. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Okay. Listeners, we will be back with Dr. Tim Brown after the break. And um, thank you for listening. And, again, Dr. Brown, you're so interesting. Thank you for being here. And we're going to a break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Dr. Tim Brown discussing alcohol and trauma. So welcome back to the program. And, Dr. Brown, we're going to pick up where we left off with um, a question about uh, is alcohol addiction different from other addictions? And I believe it right before the break you said, actually, no, it's not so different. 
Well, it, it isn't generally, but there are some differences. Um, and, you know, basically, and, uh, you know, some of the differences that I think about are in terms of, you know, which addictions are more life-threatening, you know, because as a, as a clinician, I want to be aware of that. And, and alcohol is very life-threatening, you know, if you're addicted it to is. alcohol. Uh, uh, and fear, just, fear. Oh, exactly. You know, there's a, a fear of life-threatening seizure if, if folks try to stop drinking without medical-assisted detox, and that was one of the things yeah. I definitely want to do alert your listeners to. Yes, thank you. So moving on to another question I had for you is a lot of my patients initially think of themselves as just heavy drinkers. What are the signs that someone is addicted to alcohol? Well, um, like I mentioned earlier, when my definition of, of addiction, it really has to do with those factors associated with, with tolerance, um, you, you know, withdrawal. Um, you attempt to quit or cut down, but those attempts are unsuccessful. Um, you know, you continue to drink despite uh, various negative consequences. Often, also, and uh, people are in denial. They yes. they don't realize they have a problem, uh, and you know, for your listeners who have a loved one that has these issues, they certainly know what I'm talking about. Um, and also, the the drinking results in huge changes in the person's life, and they they really can't maintain life responsibilities. So those would be some of the points. Can I just make a quip that denial is not a river in Egypt? Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> well, I can't be lame sometimes. <laughs> Let's see. Just so I'm curious, does negative thinking impact alcohol use? Um, most definitely. Um, okay. And, you know, where we see that occurring is when an individual has co-occurring uh, psychiatric problems like anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar illness, Various personality disorders, too. Um, also, people that have developmental disorders. Uh, also, we, we also forget about folks that just have injuries or, or life circumstances that are situational that can send them into a spiral. Um, also, chronic pain sufferers um, can, you know, get in a real negative loop. And all these things can, can lead to abuse of alcohol and potential addiction. Yes, I'm sort of a bear about negative thinking because I call it internal domestic violence. It really oh, wow. Arose. Yeah, I just created that idea sitting in a group one day because it, I did some research on it, and what happens is when we think negatively, it sort of erodes our internal organs. So the, my patients resonated with that thought, and they could, yep. something they could relate to. Yeah, that's, very, that's a very vivid, yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, I'm, I'm wondering how common is alcohol addiction? Um, well, Anne, you know, according to um, there are a number of surveys that are done, but the uh, the National Survey uh, on Drug Use and, and Health, uh, which was done in 2015, what it shows is, uh, you know, for adults ages 18 and over, about six, around six percent of that age group have had alcohol use disorders. And um, and then you know uh, tragically you know for kids twelve to seventeen 
2.5% of this age group in our country have experienced alcohol use disorders. And wow. that, that, I mean, you know, that just is mind-boggling when you think about it. It, it really is. And I think, tell me if you think I'm off base here, I think the general public thinks that alcohol use is like no big deal. We do it socially, and eventually they don't realize that it's become a problem. Would that be true? I think that's definitely true. And, uh, you know, in, in the area where I practice, uh, you know, there is some affluence, and I think there's a lot of pressure to succeed both for parents and the kids. And I, I think what ends up happening is what I call geographical denial. Mm. Uh, you know, where the area itself tends to deny that this is a problem. That's a great concept. So if everybody you know goes to the bar after work, looks looks normal to you, is that kind exactly. of what you mean? Well, yes, and and also I think it's just the look good of the of the uh, you know of the of the surrounding uh, sort of the keep up with the Joneses thing, you know, where mm-hmm. you, no one wants to admit that you know their look good is tarnished and that they're not doing well and it's it's not you know anything malicious it's just that uh it's and it's very unconscious so uh it's it's tragic in that regard yes i once had a chemical dependency patient who was an alcoholic uh live in the wine country in northern california when northern california is famous for their wine and they had i don't know thousands of dollars of wine and the idea of giving it up was abhorrent to them. They couldn't conceive of it. And I said, well, you're not drinking anymore. What's that? How's that going to help you keeping this? And I just, that didn't resonate with this patient at all. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's kind of in keeping with what we're saying. Yes. Will you give us thoughts about what an addiction does to relationships? Yes. Um, well... You know, uh, as as we all know, and I think you know, you said it at the top of the hour. Uh, really, uh, addiction uh, has the potential to to literally destroy relationships and entire families. Um, you know, and I, I loved what you said about you know to your listeners that perhaps some knowledge could help them not repeat you know mistakes of the past. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the behaviors of an addict can can have long lasting impacts. You know especially with respect to uh, issues around trust um, and safety. Um, you know, oftentimes with, uh, in, in these cases there can be emotional abuse when a person is under the influence or even physical abuse of, of a partner or children. And, and so, you know, and those are, are some of the more extreme examples. But still, uh, the negative behaviors and, and also the omitted positive behaviors that someone could be showing their family members, um, you know, lead to, you know, big, big uh, difficulties within the family. Um, And, you know, this is not to say that there's no hope for addicts and their partners and children, provided the addict engages in a process of recovery. Um, Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, the statistics are, are pretty clear, though, that few addicts do seek treatment. And... Uh, you know, that's something we really need to work on as a society. Yes, and uh, I've noticed that those of us um, who are active addicts right now, 
that addiction to alcohol, that is our primary relationship. I turn to it happy, mad, sad, glad, and I don't turn to my friends or partner when I have an issue. So it becomes a coping skill and, as I said, a primary relationship. There's no room for anybody to fit in between me and my alcohol. That's exactly true. Um, yeah. What, one of the things we say in treatment is that at what addicts do is they take hostages. Yes, yes. And, and yeah, unfortunately, yeah. those are the families. Those are the families, and it becomes an unconscious acceptance, problematical acceptance that I'll make up something, that mom's going to come home drunk, and it, isn't everybody like this? Yeah, exactly. And, and also the, the terror uh, of not knowing. Uh, what is mom's mood going to be when she comes home? You know, if you think about being a child in that environment. Oh, my gosh, and it's really scary for kids. Very so much I so. Came a, yeah, I came across a, an addiction recovery quote that says, addiction is the disease that makes you too selfish to see the havoc you created or care about the people whose lives you have shattered. Would you comment on this? Kind of like well, I think, I think we were just describing it. I think that is uh, accurate. Um, but what I will say is this. I think addiction has the ability to change very, uh, oftentimes very good people into bad people, uh, you know, in terms of our actions and behaviors. Um, I think because we become self-absorbed. I prefer that term over selfish. Um, and the reason is, is that like you just mentioned, you know, alcohol becomes our primary relationship. Um, yeah, and, our higher you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, uh, but that being said, you know, just because th that's the case doesn't mean we as addicts aren't responsible for our behaviors, you know, during our active addiction. We certainly are. That is, that is for sure. I'm curious about how people recover from an addiction to alcohol? Well, that's a really great question, Anne, and I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, your, your listeners will, will uh, get some ideas here in terms of how to seek help. But primarily, I think, um, you know, the, the addict has a lot of work to do in order to heal from this insidious disease. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, first and foremost, if, if a person suspects that, they're, that they have a problem with drugs or alcohol or, or some other addictive behavior, I think the most important first step is to, to get an assessment by a licensed uh, addiction professional, you know, and what that does is that enables the person to really determine, you know, what level of care is most appropriate for them and their specific unique needs. Um, we used to have more of a cookie-cutter approach to addiction treatment, and nowadays it's, it's much more individualized. And uh, I think what we find is that that helps retain, you know, the addict in treatment. Because if you think about it, being in treatment and, and just discovering that this is who you are, it's, it's, a, it's a very shaming kind of experience. You know, it's very difficult for folks. Yeah. So we're coming up on a hard break. And uh, listeners, we are going to come back and discuss alcohol and trauma with Dr. Tim Brown. We will be right back. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. 
Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We are back listeners with Dr. Tim Brown at Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Welcome back. Today we are talking about alcohol and trauma. So I want to ask you, Tim, can people stop drinking without going to treatment? This is always a serious thing. You know, and the, the statistics actually show that a lot of individuals who think they've had a problem with substances, they often do just stop, simply stop. Now, one of, these, one of the things, though, that I uh, wonder about with these folks is, do they really meet the requirements of being an, a true addict? Um, you know, because if they do, uh, I think that precludes this ability to, to stop without some help. And, you know, if, if, a, if a person meets the criteria of the definition of addict that we talked about earlier, uh, my feeling is is that you know it's it's really important to get help, and that help can come in many different forms in terms of treatment. But um, uh, you know, I really question how happy, effective, productive, and and truly integrated a person can be without pursuing some brand of of recovery. Yes, I totally agree with you because recovery requires a lot of courage and a lot of change. Amen to that. I'd like, yeah. I'd like to return to my patient, Betty, who we talked about at the beginning of the program, who kept relapsing. And I was mentioning that in thinking about her case, I wondered if there wasn't a deeper issue that was influencing her to relapse. Do you have any ideas about this? You know, I I think that's a really excellent question. Um, And I think, you know, for, for most people, Anne, uh, my experience is that there there are underlying issues that that people um, you know are really struggling with, and these can be emotional issues or concerns from their past, um, more uh, you know, in their families of origin or or, or more recent experiences, um, and you know, essentially they just reduce the capacity for the you know the ability to manage one's emotions, and uh, they can raise other negative emotions that then you know cue the addict to consider returning to their addiction of choice um, as a means to sort of, 
you know, feel better, self-medicate, or, or just escape those, uh, you know, negative feelings. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember sitting in a staff meeting where I work, actually, and saying to them, I think people are relapsing for some kind of reason, and I'm wondering if we need to go deeper in our treatment and the idea of trauma came up. Is trauma an underlying cause of addiction or alcoholism? Would you please explain to us exactly what trauma is? Well, you know, the, the technical kind of definition of, of what trauma is, it's, it's where a person you know, experiences or even witnesses an event in, in which they, they, might, they were uh, seriously injured or they felt their life was in danger or they thought they might be seriously injured or endangered. And uh, that's the technical uh, definition of, of a trauma. And, you know, the, the idea of what is a trauma has actually, in, you know, in recent years sort of expanded because now... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it includes even emotional traumas of uh, early childhood and things like that, um, which we're finding in some cases are just as devastating, if not more, than some of these other traumas that I just described. Yes, and I think that um, the general population thinks that, like, uh, some horrible thing has to happen to you in order to call it a trauma, and you and I are both trauma therapists, and I am so glad that the definition has expanded. Bullying is a trauma. There, there, Very much so. Yes, and I have recently met many men uh, where I work who have, were bullied as children, and they have carried that wound, those great wounds, into the present. And I know it's tempting to say, oh, get over it, but it's not about that. It's about trauma being held in the body. Exactly. So, yeah. So along that line, would you differentiate the difference between trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder? Two different things. Yeah. So um, the, the difference there is, is basically one of degree uh, to, some, to some extent, but also it, it involves some arbitrariness because you know the the diagnosis of, of post traumatic stress disorder in our you know diagnostic manual. What it indicates is that certain symptoms have to have gone on for at least a month or more, and um, and also with with post traumatic stress disorder, the individual can you know experience these symptoms, these difficult symptoms. Um, um, sometimes at many, many uh, months or even years after the original trauma. So um, that would be the distinction between post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and uh, just, uh, you know, trauma in and of itself. Um, but with PTSD, there are a number of symptoms that are included. And, you know, the, for example, uh, intrusive symptoms would, might include flashbacks or nightmares, uh, avoidance symptoms, and that's when the person works to avoid the, uh, the original trauma in their thoughts or even in cues and places where they go. Uh, those are some of the symptoms that would uh, be necessary for that kind of diagnosis. But, you know, I, I think it's much more helpful for me when I'm with a client to just think in terms of, 
you know, what are they experiencing now, Anne? And what are they, where, you know, what are they suffering from? And as you said, you know, they hold their trauma in their bodies, and that's a concept that's a little foreign to most people. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting that when we talk about this, when I have individual patients, and I'm pretty positive you've had the same experience, and I say, where do you feel it in their, your body? They can pretty readily tell you. Oh, most certainly, most certainly. Yeah, and so they walk you know, and I think you know, you know, and we may be jumping ahead here a bit, but I think um, you know, most treatments that we're finding that are uh, uh, superior in some ways uh, actively include the the body component and and you know, involve the the client in looking at that issue. Um, so I think that's really important mm-hmm. to bear in mind. Yeah. I've also heard, Tim, that childhood emotional trauma is linked to addiction and adulthood. Could you comment on that for us? Well, this is definitely true uh, because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, emotional trauma in childhood. And, and you know, one of the ways we talk about this in, in our, uh, you know, world, and as you know, is uh, we call it attachment trauma. And this can be especially devastating uh, to the emotional developmental trajectory uh, of a child, you know, mm-hmm. because the child's potential for developing adequate coping um, mechanisms and resiliency, you know, it, it's really essentially thwarted by these traumatic events. You know, it kind of keeps a, uh, the child stuck, and they don't have the, you know, the resources that other kids might have. And that is so true, and the adults I've treated and the children in the past who I've treated come from these families that uh, are also traumatized and also surviving, trying to survive in today's world, and it just kind of takes over the whole family. Would you agree with that? I, I most certainly would agree with that. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, the the, the devastation and, and how it does... Uh, impact whole families uh it's it's i see it every day in my office and uh you know it's 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 fairly uh, i think it's it's much more widespread than we when we previously realized uh in our society so yes and we i think we need to as a society give trauma a healthy respect because it's more prevalent i think than we thought it was shocking so um, what about other childhood traumas, like living in a stressed-out or ne- neglectful family of origin? Is that also linked to addiction in adulthood? Yes, and you know, like I was saying earlier, um, you know, I think uh, if uh, you know, and, and and one of the things we should remember is that that uh, when you are a child living in an alcoholic home. That is a huge source of stress, and often these kids are neglected. So there we see the intergenerational sort of transmission of, you know, of how alcohol and and addiction does its damage. You know, it doesn't just do damage to this generation. It will keep going. And uh, so these environmental factors have a devastating effect on young kids. Um, And, you know, as a... and because of their exposure to this emotional trauma, you know, they tend to be far more emotionally sensitive than other kids, and then they're more vulnerable uh, and, and tend to seek 
I think, substances to sort of self-medicate. I totally agree with that. It's like the Band-Aid on the deep wound. Exactly. And, and I think it's incumbent on parents today to provide a, uh, an environment that is predictable for the most part and that is structured for children. They thrive on that. So they have some sense of security growing up. And the addicts that I treat, and I'd like to know about the, some about those you treat, um, haven't come from families like that for the most part. That's very true. Uh, yeah. consistent, consistency and predictability is actually the opposite of what they've experienced. So Exactly. Okay. Well, parents out there listening, have a different kind of relationship with your child that if, if what we're talking about is different than the one you have now. And, Kim, I recently read that about two-thirds of all addicts have experienced some type of physical or sexual trauma during childhood. I thought that this was a totally amazing statistic, and I'm wondering how do we treat trauma and alcoholism? Do you treat it at the same time, or do you treat it separately? Well, the short answer to this question is yes. <laughs> and what I mean, okay. and what I mean by that is, I think we we have to endeavor to treat them concurrently and and together. Um, this is often difficult, though, because you know if you have someone who's actively addicted and actively using, it be, it becomes much more uh, you know difficult for them to uh, experience some of the the very hard. Uh, you know, re-experiencing symptoms that that patients will feel when they work on their trauma. So, you know, it's almost like a which came first, the chicken or the egg thing, because oftentimes the the trauma uh, is the reason for the addiction, and then the addiction can lead to more trauma. So uh, we definitely want to work on both, because if we don't, uh, it's a recipe for more trauma and more addiction. So um, it's 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 it is a conundrum, but it's it's definitely something that we we do with clients. And, and there's a way to approach it. Um, you know, one of the ways that I approach it is by working with psychiatrists uh, and collaborating with them. And with medication, oftentimes the the client can experience some relief from the symptoms that they're having around the trauma and then work on their alcohol addiction and then get back to the trauma and and do the deeper processing work. So, Yes, I have a question that uh, we're coming up on a break, but I have a question that I would love us to discuss after the break, and that is so many patients of mine, and I would guess yours, can say, there's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is, and I can't explain it. I just get these feelings, and I get anxious. And I think that has to do with pre-verbal trauma in many cases where the person who experienced the trauma just does not have the vocabulary to explain it. Mm. So I'm going to leave you with that thought, and we will come back, listeners, with Dr. Tim Brown after the break. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys 
recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Dr. Tim Brown discussing alcoholism and trauma. And before the break, I asked Dr. Brown, uh, what about free verbal trauma where folks who have been traumatized as young, young children before language is developed have just feelings that blindside them? Do you have any thoughts on that, Dr. Brown? I, you know, I think that that is certainly true, and I've seen it in, in, uh, in, I see it in my clients uh, almost daily. Uh, basically, and, and this is where we really see how uh, trauma is is sort of uh, kept within the body. Because uh, these these folks, as you mentioned before we went to break, what they how they realize that they have something wrong, quote unquote, with them, is they feel something in their body. Um, they may feel highly anxious. They may have a panic attack, uh, and they, they, it's seemingly coming out of nowhere. But there are actual some cues actually going on that remind them of this earlier pre-verbal situation, and you know they're unaware of that though because it's bef- it happened before they had, as you mentioned, the ability to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, but it's trauma without words. Exactly. Yeah, it's very scary. I'm wondering, Tim, if you could explain to our listeners how trauma affects the brain. Um, wow, uh, you know, an answer to it, yeah. yeah, an answer to that question could take me a whole hour by itself. But yeah. really, to, to you know, to simplify, you know, the best way to 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 talk about this is to look at evolution, and you know, our brains have have developed over time. Uh, for one purpose only, and that's survival. You know, when we were cave men and women, we needed to survive. And so... called the mammalian brain, right? Exactly. And and even lower than that is our reptile brain, you know, which is Mm -hmm. instinct, you know. And 
what ends up happening when a person is traumatized is, you know, we're thrown into, and people have heard the, the idea of flight fight. That's when your nervous system kind of takes over and prepares for, you know, something, uh, um, you know, a threat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a number of changes in our bodies occur, you know, our 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 heart rate goes up. Um, the the amount of blood sugar, in, you know, in our body increases from our liver to get us ready to react or to run from the threat. Um, and the the difficulty here is that uh, when we were traumatized, uh, it, it, we were so overwhelmed. Our brains are so overwhelmed that the actual event wasn't adequately processed, and therefore it's it sort of housed. What our bodies do in our brains is we house that unprocessed trauma for, it's almost like, you know, we're going to return to it at some point and process it. That's what, we're, you know, the, the body does. And, but the unprocessed traumas um, tend to rear their ugly head uh, at times when we least expect it because we'll see cues uh, in our world of what the previous trauma was like, and then that will bring up those old symptoms of flight fight uh, or even freeze. Uh, that's where people just sort of per- get per- per- you know paralyzed. They can't even move. Um, and uh, they have those same symptoms all over again, even though the original threat isn't happening currently. So that would be a short answer. Yeah, so it affects both the brain and body, and it's pretty crippling for many folks oh. because it controls their life. Very much so, uh, and, uh, and it's very terrifying because it, it's also, they also feel like they're going crazy. They don't understand it. Um, they don't want to really talk about it because they don't think folks will understand. Um, so, and and they can feel very – well, yeah, and it, it can yeah. feel very isolating. Yeah, totally. Yes. yes. I'm wondering, um, Tim, what kind of health problems are usually attributed to trauma? Well, it's interesting because it really depends on which area of our nervous system gets sort of stuck on. You know, if if our flight-fight nervous system is sort of stuck on as a response to trauma, then what we see is, you know, high levels of cortisol, which is a... Uh, basically a substance that's created with stress that can cause a lot of different health problems. Um, You get high blood pressure. We also see uh, heart problems, stress-related illnesses, and even problems with immune system, Um, and a lot of others. But um, those would just be some of the health problems that that a person would, would potentially face. I say to so many of my patients, Given your history, I understood or understand why you drank or used drugs because it, the body needs a rest from all the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight flight place in the body. Um, and boy, alcohol and drugs will do it temporarily and then it becomes it, addiction. Exactly. It, yeah. it, you know, it, it feels like a relief, but you know, you're going to pay for it later because, you know, what I tell my clients is. Yeah, it feels like your problem is solved for now, but you know when you sober up, you're going to have the same problems. And uh, 
It's it, and they that's wait very. For us. <laughs> yes, exactly. For us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Also, um, also, this is a relationship program, so everything comes back to relationships. And I'm wondering what your vision is about uh, what ways trauma can affect relationships. Wow. So um, I, this is a personal. Um, uh, sort of experience for me, and because uh, my doctoral dissertation actually studied um, this exact question. Uh, I, what I looked at was the impact of uh, combat-related post-traumatic stress disorder among Vietnam combat veterans and how it would impact their female partners. And um, it, and I controlled for previous trauma in the female partner. So they had no previous trauma. And what we found was that these female partners started to have the same kinds of symptoms that the vets had just because of their association in living with them. And that's known as vicarious traumatization. Yes. And wow, so, that's really you know. Scary. Well, it is because, and you know, those of your listeners who live with someone who is a trauma sufferer, they know what I'm talking about because, you know, the trauma sufferer who has post-traumatic stress can have a violent nightmare and wake up flailing and may even, you know, inadvertently hit their partner in their sleep or, the, you know, there's irritability as a symptom. So there's... There's a lot of ways that this can impact relationships. And then if you add alcohol to that mix, you know, that's like kerosene on a fire. Exactly. And uh, that's why I think we need to have more trauma therapists. And I understand, that, along with your other areas of expertise, that you treat trauma. Yay. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you do well, that? How do you treat trauma? Well, you know, um, basically the way I like to treat trauma is, again, um, I, I want to help my clients to, you know, more effectively identify, process the trauma. We talk about processing trauma a lot, but we a lot of times people leave out an important word in the tra treatment of trauma, and that's integrate their tra traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And what that means, Anne, is we help them uh, better understand at a cognitive level what happened. And that is very important. And, and in order to do that, I use a lot of different modalities. But you mentioned brain spotting uh, earlier, and, you know, that's a modality that, that emerged out of um, a previous trauma treatment, which is still used uh, very effectively, called EMDR. And uh, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And... Uh, as you mentioned, I can't go into the details of brain spotting because it's 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 uh, rather complicated. Uh, but I also use um, emotional freedom techniques, which is uh, specifically energy tapping, with which involves you know helping a client tap on themselves in the areas of associated with uh, acupressure points, which basically initiate the parasympathetic nervous system or the calming nervous system. So, um, and that's very helpful. Um, and, you know, for, for your listeners, if they're interested in these two modalities, um, on my website there are two, you know, individual pages dedicated to each, so they can check that out. Cool. Good. Could you give us your website name? 
I will. It's uh, it's very simple. It's uh, my name, Tim Brown, and that's Brown with an E at the end of it. PhD.com. Thank you. Now, Dr. Brown, some final words. Do you have any final words of advice for our listeners who are struggling with either their own alcohol or trauma challenges or for those of our listeners who are feeling besieged by the addiction or the trauma of a loved one? Well, I think the the main thing, Anne, is what I would uh, tell my clients is that, you know, they're not alone. And uh, even though we can feel alone when we face these kinds of challenges, they're not alone. And there is help. Um, you know, I would encourage your listeners to, you know, to, to seek out professionals who, uh, you know, work in these particular areas. And also to, you know, make certain that your your listeners feel comfortable with those folks. You know, when people first come into my office, I, I make it very clear that one of the most important things for the therapeutic relationship is that our personalities click, that we're going to work well together. And I think that's very important because trust is very difficult for the alcoholic and for the trauma sufferer. Uh, their world doesn't feel just. It, it's so true. So Dr. Brown, I want to thank you so much for being on this program today. And if any of our listeners would like to contact you, would you please repeat your um, uh, your web address? Yes, certainly. Um, so the website is just my name, Tim Brown, and then uh, Brown has an E at the end of it, and then PhD.com. Thank you. So listeners, think about the idea that relationship issues are at the crux of almost every problem you have in this program, and it's, this program is dedicated to helping you improve each and every relationship you have. Until next week, remember, only you have the power to create your world the way you want it to be. Have a great week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.